0: Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. Caleb coming to you with a really cool offer from my dear friend, Chris Gilmore from Chris Outdoors. When you first get started exploring the outdoors, whether it be through hunting, camping, or survival skills, it can all get a little bit mm, daunting and maybe even overwhelming in regards to how much there is to learn. Having a solid foundation in tracking and naturalist skills can help open the door to bushcraft and make you learn much faster. It can also just make things outdoors that much much more fun and exciting. What bird made that call? What animal does that track belong to? What do those clouds mean in regards to the incoming weather? Nature awareness is a skill set that is transferable to all aspects of bushcraft and beyond. Whether you are a hunter, a trapper, an angler, a survivalist, a paddler, or a hiker, this skill set can help make you safer and make your experiences that much more enjoyable. Chris has taught literally thousands of people how to read sign, whether it be through tracks, bird language, or the environment itself. And with his new online learning course, Reading Nature's Language, he can help you take your skills to the next level. Even though it is based online, you will have access to tons of practical activities and challenges that will make you the woodland Jedi you always wanted to be. Check out the trailer and more details at www.learnnatureslanguage.com. And just to sweeten the deal for you, enter the promo code DRAGONFLY to get 25% off the course. Again, that is www.learnnatureslanguage.com with the promo code DRAGONFLY for 25% off. than you've ever felt before we know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to canadian bushcraft hello dragonfly nation this is the canadian bushcraft podcast with your host caleb musgrave and i'm here today my very good friend chris gilmore from ChrisOutdoors.ca, and chris has been a friend of mine for many many years i think going back to at least 2011 and we've had him on the show before back in the fall when we were talking about nature awareness when we're talking about uh nature awareness as well as the courses that he runs online and we're here again to talk about those courses but also why we do these things and why we do exactly what this specific course is and that is the hunter's journey the hunter's journey is an online course that Chris and I ran back in the fall as a beta version with people that were selected students for that course. And this time in in mid-May, when this episode is getting ready to drop, we actually are ready to launch the full course. We're actually uh, dropping this this podcast in April, but the course is dropping in May and we are getting ready to bring this to the public. So I've brought Chris in for this episode to talk about this course that him and I are running together called the Hunter's Journey. And we're going to talk to Chris about, Yes, the course, but also the reasons behind a course like this, the reason behind, the reasons behind why we hunt, why Chris hunts, why do I hunt? What is hunting? What do you need to know about hunting? For a lot of you uh, that listen, you loved our waterfowl episode. You loved our deer hunting episodes. You uh, love the episodes where I brought in a lot of different people and we're getting ready now for turkey season. And so a lot of different people are getting into hunting and this is the perfect time for you to kind of tune in and figure out some stuff and plan your journey into hunting. And so with that, I want to introduce Chris. Chris, welcome to the show once more. It's a pleasure to be here. It always is, man. Awesome. And it, before we get too far in, I just want to ask if you want to give yourself a quick introduction for those that have never heard uh, of Chris Gilmore. Uh, who are you? What do you do? Uh, and all that kind of fun stuff. And then we'll get into the real meat and potatoes of the show.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep it fairly brief here. But, um, you know, Caleb and I met through a, a gathering that was called the Headwaters Gathering that used to happen here in Ontario. Uh, and it was a gathering where basically like-minded folks that were really into all things outdoors, um, particularly as it relates to, you know, survival skills, bushcraft, wild foraging, herbalism, uh, things of that nature. Um, so we, we met at that gathering, we hit it off right off the bat. And, and really, you know, those topics sum up a, a lot of who I am. Um, you know, I've always had a passion in uh, self-reliance. And I think, you know, this This last year, uh, seeing how COVID has impacted the world is, is really showing why self-reliance is important. You know, we never really know what's around the next corner. Totally. Um, so, yeah, if you if you were to really summarize my, my passions and who I am really quickly, um, I'm really into all things self-reliance. So my wife and I live on a homestead. We grow a lot of food. Um, we forest garden and we, we work with the forest to sustainably harvest herbs and medicine and food from it. Uh, I'm also a hunter, a trapper, a fisherman, uh, much like Caleb is there. Um, and I'm a, a long-term teacher as well. I've, I've been teaching in the outdoors for 20 years now, and I love mentoring, uh, other folks in these skills. I find they're just so empowering, um, the way that they impact our lives and change who they are. Um, and you know, of all those skills, the most important part to me is actually more so than the skills themselves is actually the relationship that we build with the land and what we learn about ourselves through the journey. Um, that's actually the part I'm most passionate about actually. And that's why we call our course, the hunter's journey. Um, cause whether it's foraging medicine or practicing survival or bushcraft or hunting, um, that the journey of doing that deepens our relationship with the land, our understanding of our lives. And ultimately I think that leads to us being better stewards of the land, which is also super important to me. You know, if we're going to harvest animals lives from the land, uh, how do we know that we're doing so in a way that is, is ethical and sustainable, um, and, and doesn't hurt the populations that we're harvesting from. Um, so that, that kind of sums me up in a, in a nutshell there, Caleb, I think
0: definitely that's a really great intro that was that was phenomenal uh and with that I kind of have that kind of leads us really easily into the very first question is Chris why do you hunt
1: yeah that, it's so funny that I'm even um you know in this conversation and that uh, I'm running this course with you this year because I was a vegetarian for eight years no um but I think it, I think it's really important to understand the context that made me a vegetarian because I was actually brought up in a suburban neighborhood. Uh, I didn't have parents that hunted. They weren't even necessarily outdoors folks. I mean, we went camping as kids and and things of that nature, but I wasn't really brought up with like this deeply connected lifestyle to the land in the way that you were brought up, Caleb. Mm. Um, And because of that, you know, I started really questioning things like factory farming, and I was actually very adamantly against hunting for, for most of those eight years. Um, but what I realized is that the reason I was against it is because I only saw, you know, kind of what was being portrayed in popular media of what hunting looked like. Um, and that I wasn't actually exposed to the other side of hunting, which I actually think is probably even maybe more common, um, that it's actually this part of our our lineage and that it can actually be one of the most sustainable ways to harvest healthy meat from the land um, that's out there. Um, and that's not always what's role modeled in, in modern hunting. And there's, there's definitely controversy in the modern hunting scene, but that is only one fraction of hunting. So to make a long story short there, um, a- after about eight years of being vegetarian, the last three years of it, I was having some serious chronic health problems. Uh, and I was going to every specialist in the book and no one could figure out what was going on with me. And uh, I finally saw a natural path who basically said, hey, Chris, would you consider going starting to eat meat again? And she said, I think your problem is actually um, has something to do with the fact that you've been vegetarian for eight years. And your your blood type and your constitution is maybe not good for for being a vegetarian. Interesting. so that was part number one that made me think about, oh, shoot, I got to eat meat again. And I'm like fundamentally against meat. <laughs> Step number two is my my wife, Laura, um, her mom. Uh, sorry, her, her she comes from a family where many of them hunt and her stepdad was a hunter. Right. And I realized that her stepdad was not the stereotypical, you know, redneck hunter blasting trophies, whatever. And <laughs> yep. that sounds really judgmental. I mean, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, he, uh, he
0: wasn't, he wasn't Elmer Fudd is what you're getting at.
1: He wasn't Elmer Fudd. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Uh, he actually had a really deep relationship with the land. He really cared about animals. Mm. Uh, he was a really good person. And that made me think like, wow, okay. One, I need to eat meat. And two, maybe there's something about hunting that I'm actually missing. Um, so that would, that just kind of sparked the interest. And I'll share one really quick story here that I, and I think this really captures why I do it today. So uh, I decide, okay, you know, if I'm going to eat meat, uh, I want to actually have a relationship with that meat in the land. Uh, I want to uh, harvest at least some of my meat myself. So that mm. sent me off on this long journey. And the first thing that I ever harvested was a rabbit oh, uh, and I actually snared it. But what's really neat about this story, so I practiced snaring and setting snares without actually targeting animals, like literally just practiced the logistics of it for years. And I just tried to like mentally prepare myself for the idea of taking a life because that was a really big deal to me. And I wasn't sure how comfortable I was with it, but I practiced the skills and the tactics. And then I finally hit this point where I was like, okay, I feel ready to do this. I'm gonna try and go take a life and harvest a rabbit. So I spent two months setting snares for rabbits. And I thought like, I'm like, okay, I've been studying this for years. Like, this is going to be easy. (laughs) Two months, I didn't catch a single rabbit. Uh, And I had this epiphany one day. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at one of my traps and I'm like super frustrated. And I'm like, you know what? I don't actually know anything about rabbits. And and it's funny to have this this, uh, epiphany because like I was such a nature lover, you know? Uh, Part of the reason I was a vegetarian is because I love nature so much. And I had this light bulb moment of like, I love nature, but I actually know so little about it. You know, like, sure. I've read about rabbits, you know, and I know about their biology from a book, but rabbits are living on the land 365 days a year. They're out there being chased by predators. They're feeding all weather. Like Mm -hmm. the little glimpse I get from the book and the once in a while where I actually see one for a couple of moments that I I don't know anything about rabbits. So no wonder I'm not able to trap them. So that night I put down all my traps Uh, And I was like, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at sunrise and I'm going to actually track rabbits from sun up till sundown. And I'm going to follow them all day long. No setting traps, no hunting. I'm literally going out just to try and get a glimpse into the life of a rabbit. So, uh, and this, this is actually almost like a freaky story. It's kind of weird. Sometimes I feel like I'm even lying when I'm telling it, but I I swear (laughs) to God, everything's true. So the next morning I get up and I walk out onto the land and, uh, The sun's just coming up and I go to pop down into the forest where I've been trapping. And sure enough, the first rabbit I've seen since I started trapping literally is just standing there beside me. He pops out of a hole and I'm like, isn't that ironic? The first day I'm out here without a trap or a weapon, there's a rabbit there. Of course. And it's just sitting there looking at me. And, and, you know, just the whole like whatever the the vibe of the moment. I actually stopped and I started talking to this rabbit. This this is the part where it gets a little bit weird, but bear with me. Uh, I think I think you'll really enjoy this story. So I literally just tell the rabbit, I'm like, man, you guys like you're blowing me away. I thought this was going to be easy. And I, I basically just go on this like rant about how frustrated I've been and my epiphany that I realized how little I know and like props mm-hmm. to you guys, like so much respect to the rabbit nation, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, and basically I finished talking and literally the rabbit goes back into the hole, like right as I finished my last sentence, so I just kind of like, Ooh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I should tell anyone about that. You know, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that might put me in a home or something. So long story short, um, Uh, I I go out, I spend the whole day tracking rabbits down on my hands and knees and trying to learn as much about them as I can. And I learned so much in that day. And and one of the big epiphanies there was like, oh, until I actually tried to capture one, which means I need to actually outwit it, it never actually forced me to ask all of these intricate questions about like, what does a rabbit's life actually look like? Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that morning, because I was trying to take its life, I started asking these questions and it caused me to learn. I learned more about rabbits in that day than I had in the entire 30 plus years of my life before that. So, Brilliant. end of the day Brilliant. comes around and I'm like, okay, you know, before that, I had like 30 traps out. Today, I'm like, I'm going to set two snares before I go to bed tonight based on what I learned today. So, I set my two snares and, okay, bear with me. We're going to get weird again here for a moment, uh, but I swear it's true. I start walking out of the bush and I'm coming up the hill, the exact same spot where I came in that morning. And sure enough, doesn't the rabbit pop out of that hole again? Uh, the snowshoe hare. Really. And I was just like, I got shivers at this point, you know, <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And it just stops there. And I basically talked to the rabbit again. And I literally went on and was like, told the rabbit everything I'd learned that day. I probably talked for 20 minutes to this rabbit and just sat there. Um, fortunately, the rabbit didn't talk back. Like That would have been really <laughs> weird. Yep. I probably yep. shouldn't be in a home if the rabbit was actually talking back to me, yes. but it didn't. So that's there's the, there's how I know I'm somewhat sane. I'm just weird, but sane. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so I basically tell this rabbit this big story, and then I tell it. I'm like, hey, just so you know, there's two traps out there. Um, and, and, and I basically finish. The rabbit goes back down in the hole, and then again, I'm like, do I tell anyone about this, or is this uh, something I keep to myself? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I walk back home. I go to sleep. Uh, next morning I come out, sure enough, I've caught my first rabbit that morning after months of trying, I take the rabbit home. I'm so excited. Like I'm literally in tears, you know, like this is so special to me, especially after what had happened the day before Mm -hmm. I go home, I clean it up, get it ready. I put it in the stew pot and then like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to trap anymore this year. I feel really good about where I came this year. I'm going to go take down my other trap. So I I walk back out to go check my other trap about four o'clock to take it down. And sure enough, there's another rabbit. So I caught two rabbits after wow. that day. And that moment was life-changing for me. And, totally. and what I can say, you know, your question was, why do I hunt? Um, the re- That journey with the rabbit has now been my experience with all these other species. And I feel mm. like my relationship with the land, my understanding of those animals, my understanding of stewardship, um, and just the interconnectedness of ecology, has grown exponentially since I started harvesting food from the land, even though I spent a ton of time in nature before, and I was into wildlife tracking and plants and all these things, Mm -hmm. nothing has pushed my relationship with the land like hunting has. And it's fundamentally changed who I am as a human being. Um, And that's why this course we created, is not called hunting 101. It's actually called the hunter's journey. Right. Um, And and that's the approach I like to teach uh, really all these skills from is, is about the way the relationship that this, forms between us and the land us and whatever we're harvesting whether it's a plant or an animal and even mm. us and ourselves um and and to me that's what this is all about
0: i dig it i dig it that's a really beautiful journey you went on which is encouraging you to bring people onto new journeys for themselves that's that's phenomenal so when it comes down to what you learned from that and what you've learned since then kind of kind of like a taste for those who are trying to be that are interested in this course but not sure if they want to dive into it quite yet uh what are what are the different aspects of hunting in your opinion what are your aspects of hunting
1: awesome yeah i i have i've come up with um a bit of a framework, I think, that kind of defines like all the different elements uh, in this hunter's journey. Uh, and, and I shouldn't say all of them, but in, in my mind, this kind of covers like the scope of the hunter's journey. Mm. So, so whether you want to take the course or not, if you're considering this and want to hunt, I think you can think about these different categories as like a, a checklist for building up your skill sets and covering pieces. Uh, but this is the framework for the course that Caleb and I are running, the hunter's journey. Um, so number one of eight is the mental and physical side of this. Um, and it's really basically preparing your mind to, to take a life um, and preparing yourself for the sometimes really hard lessons that come up when, when you're not able to take a life or maybe you even wound an animal and it mm. sucks. And, you know, in the course, we really focus heavily on how do you not wound an animal, but inevitably uh, it, it might happen at some point in your journey and it's yeah. really, really going to suck. But you know what? Animals get wounded every single day out in the wild. You know, the wolf goes after a deer and it almost rips its back leg off. And then the deer gets away Mm -hmm. like that's actually normal in nature. And I'm I'm not justifying it or condoning it. But I'm saying that uh, when those experiences happen and come up, those are some of the things that we're going to learn the most from. Um, And they also get it make us it's like a bit of a reality check with how nature actually works. But there's a lot to process there. Yeah. So so the first part of the journey, I think, is actually just like the mental preparation and, and almost the philosophical side, you know, and uh, in the course, we actually try to help you craft your own story. Like, what is my hunter's story? What is my journey? And, you know, my relationship to hunting and my journey might be different than Caleb's, you know, yeah. for some of us, it might be very spiritual for others. It might be very much about like meat and ethical harvesting of meat, you know, um, you know, one person, you know, Caleb, you're Anishinaabe and someone else might be a Christian and thus their story about hunting is is very different very but we right. can still relate uh, in a deep way mm. uh, around this relationship of the land so it, it's you know one part is yeah crafting the story of your hunter's journey and and the mental philosophical side of it so that's that's kind of the
0: first part of it there um do you want do you want to share anything about that or do you want me to go on to point number two I yeah let's just jump to point number two I think that was really good and really succinct and really clear and I, I don't think there's much I can really dive into that other than like I was raised with hunting, so I never really had to think about it until the last, like, nine years when I started taking other people hunting. And I started thinking, like, what's my story with this? Like, what do I know about hunting? And that's really the only major part that I could really contribute to that part of the story is, like, I never had to think about it for the first 15 years of my entire life hunting until I started hanging out with people like you who would ask those questions. And I'm like, oh, shit, I have no idea. And I had to start thinking about it. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The hunter's journey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Awesome.
1: So point number two is, and this is, you know, the part and in the course, you know, my one nervousness about bringing this course to the world in a public way. And I think you shared this with me, Caleb is, you know, the last thing I want to do is teach more people to take lives that aren't going to do it with the thought of stewardship in mind Mm -hmm. and ethics and respect in mind, which is why our tagline is hunt with skill, respect and heart. You know, that's, that's foremost to me and more important than, than really anything else in it, you know? Um, now, with that said, you know if you resonate with that that idea of of re- skill, respect, and heart, then uh, I invite you to come and and explore this with us. So, step number two in the hunter's journey is actually the the ethics and sustainability side of it. So it's like. Um, You know, how do we make sure that we are harvesting in an efficient way? How do we actually learn to track and understand the ecology of the area and the animal population so we know that it's actually okay to harvest this animal here or it's Mm -hmm. not okay to harvest it here, you know. Um, So it's developing the the skill sets of tracking and ecology so that we can have long-term stewardship in mind and that we can do everything we can to avoid uh, potentially injuring an animal and, and causing unnecessary harm. Um, also knowing that, you know, it, it might happen anyways. And that's where point number one comes in, the 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 mental and philosophical side. So mm-hmm. that's number, that's part number two of the skill set and the journey is the the ethics and sustainability side of it and learning those pieces. Thoughts on that one?
0: That's beautiful. Um, yeah, there's how can I explain this? How can I break this down as simple as I can? There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of steps to becoming a good hunter, and and what you're describing there is crucial to understand in, in total why do we do this how do we do this the right way is like the biggest challenge there's as, as i mentioned in one of our little uh, excerpts that we're doing for the nature updates uh parts of the episodes we uh currently are spearing for fish we're spearing sucker right now and sucker is a very sustainably harvestable at this time of year if you do it the right way and that's the biggest trick to it all is i'm spearing fish and a lot of people look at spearing a fish as something that is unethical or something that's damaging to the ecology you're going to take too many all that kind of stuff i'm aiming for males and i'm aiming for the smallest males there are in that river i'm not going for the females that are full of eggs i'm not going for the big big males that are going to be producing the best uh, genetics for the the next generation i'm going for those males that are either completely alone or they're the last in line to fertilize those eggs And that for me is the way I kind of look at sustainability when it comes down to the ethics of what I'm doing. It's same thing with when I go for deer. I, for a long time, would never go for bucks that were larger than a certain size or certain antler size. I'm changing that perspective now as I'm learning more, Uh, listening to Doug Durin and a few other people talking about how they look at ecology with deer. It's kind of changed my perspective there. But that's part of my journey, learning how to do things better and doing things more sustainably and doing things more ethically. How can I make this kill the best kill I can and make sure it's not going to damage everything else? That's an important part of this all for me in my story. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, I feel like, you know, hunters,
1: you know, um, uh, anyone listening might just think that hunters hate males. It seems like we're always targeting the
0: guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it feels like that until you look at the actual like okay if we take all the hen turkeys out of the forest there won't be any turkeys next year for the, from the eggs uh whereas, so we have to go for the toms we have to go for the ones that have a we have to go for bearded turkey for the most part i think in the fall you can take any turkey but for the spring it's the toms that you're going after and the jakes uh and the same thing with deer and moose and everything else we the, the main target is the is the males because one male can impregnate multiple females whereas only one female can give birth or give that life so it does feel very uh stacked against the males for sure i agree on that but there's there's a reason to that there's definitely a reason to that
1: yeah yeah totally i was, I was kind of making a joke there but i'm glad actually totally. that you, we kind of explained why that why that is because there is an ecological reason for it you know yeah. um cool so so step number three in the hunter's journey for me now once we've kind of come up with your philosophy and and you're thinking about the ethics and your story, and then you move into the sustainability piece and the the skills of tracking and ecology, knowing what you can take, then Mm -hmm. then you need to go over the legalities, you know? Uh, So that's basically getting your hunting license, Mm -hmm. um, understanding like how tags work and what you're allowed to harvest and how much um and then there's also like understanding things like uh management units and hunting seasons and bylaws and things of that nature so in the course we actually walk you through like how do you go through that whole process of being able to legally hunt and where you can legally hunt how you can legally hunt so legality is a big one i don't think i need to say too much more of that Um, but it can be confusing when you're getting started so we're going to walk people through like the all of those pieces to get you set up so you can legally hunt and you have what you need in place Mm -hmm. um Number four is uh, there's now, now that you're legally ready to hunt, um, you need, you have some decisions to make. Um, and, you know, the way that we approach this is that there's, as I said, everyone has their own story, their own reason, uh, and their journey is going to look different for each person. So one question would be like, what are you going to hunt? And helping you decide what do you want to hunt first? And what else do you maybe want to hunt down the road so we'll help work you through that and we cover a whole gambit of species you know we're going to talk about deer we're going to talk about moose we're going to talk about migratory birds small game grouse mm-hmm. turkeys squirrels um, yeah. and what are the you know why you might want to hunt or not hunt different animals at different parts in your journey so that's one part uh the next part is going to be well what are you going to hunt with and again we're going to cover mm. the full gambit you know we'll talk about traditional bows that you carve yourself out of wood to compound bows to crossbows Uh, Mm -hmm. Then we'll get into firearms, you know, and and chat a little bit about, you know, shotguns and rifles Mm -hmm. and what are maybe the pros and cons, or it's not even necessarily pros and cons, but what are just some of the variables with each of those guns that you want to consider? Um, So we'll cover that and, and basically help you decide what is the right tool or weapon for you to hunt with. And it's going to be different for every person based on some of these other factors. And then the last one is like, where do you hunt? And we'll talk about, you know, how do you actually find land and get started hunting? You know, if you're from the city uh, and you want to hunt, that's an intimidating part and a challenging part. So we'll actually walk you through Mm -hmm. some of the options and steps to actually finding land and how to get started. Um, So, yeah, once the legalities are covered, then it's make a few decisions. What do I hunt? What do I hunt it with? And where am I going to hunt? So we're going to help you through that piece there. Uh, Anything on that one before point five?
0: Uh, just to, to 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 touch on the land part, like it is a very big challenge. We've actually talked about maybe doing an entire podcast episode on that as well. But I think it's gonna be great just to have that in the Hunter's Journey course. Finding hunting ground is such a challenge, but it's actually kind of one of my favorite parts of it because you can either be going out and looking at public land and camping out there and scouting that area and figuring it all out, or you could be talking to to farmers and property owners and actually becoming part of a community in a sense. I often am the am that guy that's out helping with hay with the farmers that I'm hunting on their land for because I try to do reciprocity and all those little tips and tricks is so fun. It's actually fun. It's one of the fun parts of hunting is scouting and figuring this stuff out and finding where you can do this stuff. It's actually really entertaining and, and enjoyable for me.
1: Yeah. I, I love the scouting aspect of it you too, Caleb. And I think uh, in the course, we're going to hopefully shift that from people feeling intimidated by that to actually being excited about that process and yeah. how much you're actually going to learn about the ecology of your region through the process of scouting and trying to mm-hmm. find land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're really going to change probably the way that you look at the ecology and the ecosystem uh, of, your, of your region. So.
0: Excellent.
1: Um, so step number five in the journey for me, it's now, now that we've, uh, we've got the mental, physical hunter's journey part, Uh, We understand our ethics and the sustainability part. We're set up legally and we've made a game plan is, is in like, what am I going to hunt? Where am I going to hunt? How am I going to hunt? Now you got to start learning the actual skill sets. And really that's going to be, that's a big part of what the course is right there is breaking down all these different skill sets that you need to learn. And what does the journey look like to develop those skill sets? You know, so for example, it's like, okay, I picked my weapon. Now I need to know how to shoot it properly. So we'll get into marksmanship. Um, you know, what gear do I need to hunt and we'll cover kind of two spectrums, like one, like I'm totally on a budget. Uh, I don't, I'm not, or I'm not ready to invest a lot and I just want to dabble. So, What's kind of the minimum setup you need. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, I'm really getting into this. I'm getting super kind of geeky or nerdy with it. So what are like all of these more like advanced modern kind of tools and stuff that you can bring into it, you know? So we'll kind of cover the gambit there. Um, shooting your weapon, uh, tracking, and learning how to move through the woods, that's absolutely huge. And how do you actually oh, yeah. scout the landscape? Uh, it's, and it's kind of like that, my story from the rabbits at the beginning there, and I've got mm-hmm. so many of these stories with deer. Uh, sure, finding a deer trail is not a hard thing to find in the woods at if all. you have some basic tracking skills. Actually finding a deer on that trail and being <laughs> close enough to shoot it, that is a very hard thing to do. Yes. And for all of you that are like, oh, I see deer all the time. Like I drive past them and they're in my backfield. Everything changes when you put a gun or a bow in your hand. Yep. Um and those deer potentially that you're seeing in a field or behind your house might not actually even be the ones that makes the most sense to harvest. Yep. Um so there's this whole skill set around scouting the land, knowing how to read the land and knowing where to be at the what time and even how to be there so that the animal doesn't know that you're there so that you can actually make the harvest. So mm-hmm. um yeah, learning the skill sets is is number 5 in the journey for me. What do you want mm-hmm. to share on that one, Caleb?
0: It's a really, really cha- a big part of the challenge is like getting everything figured out. Like how do I shoot this firearm properly and safely? How do I find an animal? Like tracking is, like I've been tracking since I was a, t- a teenager and I'm still just learning. It's uh, One part I would t- add into this, we also talk about when it comes into the scouting, it's not just with your own eyes necessarily. You may be using trail cameras and we'll be talking about the options of there. I had, I, I was telling Chris before we recorded, I just went through 9,700 photographs from four trail cameras that I left out since mid-November and on a property that I've been hunting for five years now. And I just, just learned a shitload about that property just by looking through those 9,700 photos. Mostly that there's a lot of Queen Anne's lace on that property that likes to move in the wind. But beyond that, (laughs) I, I now know where the turkeys are roosting. I now know where the deer are moving the most, even though I thought I knew already I was wrong. Uh, I now know where the deer are really habituating and what kind of deer we have on the property. We thought for a long time now that we had two or three females and just one buck that are kind of just transients going through the property. Now I know that there's actually two bucks. They're both massive bucks with next to the size of my thigh. And there's actually closer to 12 or 13 does. And that's something that we were not even close to being aware of just by tracking and just by looking at one trail camera over four years. So learning to scout and read that land and actually like learn to analyze it with maps, learning to analyze it with uh, trail cameras, learning to analyze it with your own eyes, with tracking, and just even asking the locals, all that kind of pre-game kind of work and putting boots on the ground is really eye-opening and really crucial to actually have any kind of success.
1: Yeah, beautifully said there, Caleb. So, so now we've worked on these actual skill sets. Uh, and you're actually out in the bush hunting so this is step number six is actually Mm -hmm. learning to adapt and and take in all the lessons that come and you know what that's probably when I got started the part that I I was totally oblivious to you know like in my head is someone that like theoretically was trying to think about this idea of hunting you know it's like okay I learned to shoot my weapon and I find a trail and I go out there and I wait and then the deer walks by and then I shoot it and I process it (laughs) that is so not how hunting works at all you're gonna get out there and you know hunting can be, even when you're really skilled, like you're going to have days that are so frustrating, you know, where you're like, you know, I, I called Caleb one day this year and I was just like, so I don't smoke. I'm not a big drinker. And I literally the one day like came in so worked up. I'm like, I'm going to go grab a cigar and I'm going to grab a beer and I'm going to go and sit on my pond and just (laughs) decompress because I can't believe what just happened in the woods for me today and how worked up I am about this. Like it's an emotional journey, Totally. but uh, one of the most important parts, I would say even maybe more so than the skills themselves is actually learning how to adapt as you go through and like take in the information, the experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh man, I almost had the deer. And then I spooked it. Or I was so sure on the spot and I've been going there every day and I haven't seen a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, what do you actually do with that? Um, how do you adapt on the fly and how do you be constantly learning? Because, you know, hunting is, a, it's a lifelong learning journey. Um, yeah. There's never a point where it's just like, I'm an expert hunter now. I, I mean, maybe you could call yourself an expert, but there's never a point where you know everything. The I animals so. that we're targeting, they're, they do this 365 days a year. Uh, mm-hmm. most of us still have to have jobs. We still have to go <laughs> back to our homes and tend to other things, pay bills. Um, so there's this beautiful journey of learning, uh, between us. And as you target different animals, they learn too, and they learn about you. So there's this dance back and forth. It's like, you know, uh, every time I mess up when I'm hunting a deer, that deer is smarter now. And that deer, the same way I'm patterning in on that deer, that deer is patterning on me as an individual. Totally. And there's a dance there. So a big part of the course during our live sessions is actually like. From the field learning um, how to adapt and learn from all of these scenarios that come up and that's actually my favorite part of the course. Um, we do these these live call sessions and Caleb and I and our guest instructors we're actually out in the field hunting some of our students choose to hunt while others. You know, don't, they're not ready to hunt yet. So maybe they're going to hunt with a camera this year um, or just with their eyes this year, you know, and they're just Mm going to try and get close to animals and see them. But basically we're going to, we're going to take things that are actually happening in the field for myself and Caleb and the students, and we'll debrief them in live time and talk about, okay, what could we learn from this? How does this change the game plan for tomorrow? So that's number six for me is actually just kind of processing all of the lessons that come up as you go and and adapting to them in this beautiful uh, ebb and flow relationship with the land and Mm
0: -hmm. what we're hunting. I love it. I love it. Yeah. There's a lot of moments of frustration that I've dealt with. Actually, when we were doing the show, uh, the, the beta test, I had the perfect shot on a deer. I, I, Chris is smiling already because I'm probably remembering this happening to me. I thought I had everything ready. I had this deer at 34 yards and I had a 300 wind mag with a massive vortex scope on it. I'm like, this deer is dead to rights. There's no way this deer's not dying right now. And I squeezed the trigger, press the trigger and the deer ran away with not a single wound on it and it took me 20 minutes to figure out what happened And it was the fact that one of the screws on my scopes mount was loose and while I've been walking that whole day bumping into brush the scope had actually got jarred free of its original setting and I completely shot uh six yards above the deer's head kind of thing like way way high I don't know how I did that other than the fact that the scope was completely messed up and I I nearly threw that gun I nearly quit hunting that day and sure enough we have a meeting with the students that evening a session with the students and chris goes so how how was your uh, first week of deer hunting uh caleb and i'm like not good chris not good at all <laughs> it was great yeah these frustrations come up and it's a learning experience of like learning to check your gear learning to check yourself learning to check everything and make sure that you are at all times as perfect as you can be as a hunter and then learning to adapt to the variables that are going to happen anyways. Cause there's nothing, there's a reason it's called hunting, not killing. You're you're out there trying to get trying to be a hunter every single time. It's not a guarantee. There's also like transferable life
1: skills in that too. Like, you know, like dealing with that kind of frustration and then like having to process it, like actually, 100%. I feel like makes us better people, you know, because that that's the same way I process the grief there can now be applied to grief and frustration in other parts of my life, you know? Totally, totally. Um, I've learned so much from hunting and and tracking and learning from animals that I now apply to like relationships. I apply it to uh, all other aspects of my life, even to how I run my business, you know? So uh, nature is just such a beautiful model for so many things, you know, like resiliency and efficiency and effectiveness and grief uh, Mm -hmm. and gratitude. Uh, It's all in there. So, you know, again, on that journey, you know, it's not just about harvesting food. There's also how we grow as individuals through these experiences So processing those lessons in the harvest is part of that. Part of it's about becoming a better hunter, but part of it's also about becoming a better human being.
0: Totally. I'm, I'm 100% on board with that one. So that's number six, awesome. right? That was
1: number six, yeah. So number seven is now I've made my first harvest or I've made a harvest. How do I process that harvest? Um, you know, what do mm. I do with the meat? What do I do with the hide? What else? Can I make things out of the bones, the organs? Um, So there's this whole aspect around processing your harvest and what to what you need to know to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot to learn there as well, too. You know, so that's one part that uh, one skill set you need to build. Um, uh, Oh, and then the other one I was going to say is how to, you know, and, and this is another part where I talk about the journey being different from other one. And this one's an important part to me. But what does it look like for you to honor that moment and to honor the life of the animal? And, right. you know, the way that I kind of approach this from, it's not a dogmatic way, like this is the way to have it, you right. know? Um, you know, some people might be brought up in a tradition, uh, a cultural tradition, where like, this is how we honor the animal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I really respect that. And it's super important to acknowledge. But if you weren't brought up with that tradition, um, we're not going to go and steal somebody else's tradition. But it, totally. to me, it's important that you have some version of that for yourself. Um, so, so what does it look like for you to honor that? um and and maybe that's going to evolve over time maybe you'll get welcomed into a tradition that says passes something on to you that you're then able to feel good with and use but when you're getting started you know just what does that look like for you to do the best you can with that idea of honoring it as part of the journey
0: hell yeah hell yeah that's a that's a really beautiful and important part of this whole thing is i as a lot of our viewers are probably aware, i i was raised in traditions of of like how we honor animals and there's a lot of ways to do that. I've, I've been in very mixed groups of hunters where we have Christian hunters, we have non-religious hunters, we have hunters that are indigenous, have different practices from different nations. And then we have hunters that are of completely different faiths. I've, uh, we've had Hindus hunting with us, we've had Muslim hunting with us, and they have their own traditions around those concepts. And it's really beautiful to watch how different people want on and some some people want to honor that animal by mounting it up on a wall and showing that animal to everybody they can to show that story and though that's not what I do nor do I think it's right for me to do I can totally understand why somebody else would and I can respect that and it's something really kind of beautiful to see the other traditions it's kind of like uh maybe it's just the anthropologist in me from going to university for so long and studying anthropology but i just really love that part of like seeing how other peoples do that when i was down in Colombia and living with uh, the yakuna watching how they respect the animals that they take and what the things that they do with those animals decorate themselves with the bodies and decorate their homes with the bodies but also like honoring the animal with ceremonies and stuff it's really a beautiful aspect it really is it's an and it's an, a crucial aspect it's just like all these other steps everything you've made all these steps like all you're seeing whenever chris is talking and we're on video with each other i'm just nodding along and smiling because like yeah that is extremely important yeah that one was extremely important and it's not that i'm trying that i have run out of things to say everybody knows i'm verbose as hell it's the fact that i can agree with all these aspects all these steps being really important for those who are learning to hunt and those who already are hunting so yeah i'm I love this. This is a great system that you've developed already. And so that's number seven. What's number eight? What's the eighth? Yeah. And then number eight, uh, number eight to me is actually just about the annual cycle. And what does it look like
1: to, to build this into your life? Mm. So, you know, uh, and, and I think this is really important as well from, particularly from a stewardship perspective, you know, a lot of people are hunters for two weeks out of the year. Um, or a month out of the year, you know? Um, and and then they go back and and then they don't necessarily think about it, or maybe they do once in a while. And and I'm not not necessarily that bad or wrong or anything here, but I'm saying to really understand the ecology of an area and to actually just be like the best hunter you can be in this. Um, to me, it's really important that we're actually hunters year or year round and that there's actually a lot we're working on outside of the hunting season. That mm-hmm. helps us better understand the ecology, better understands the populations. Or is, is there ways I can steward the land to actually help wildlife when I'm not hunting? Yeah. But then there's also like the working on the skill sets. And there's even this piece, you know, that's really interesting about like planning our own lives around the hunt. Because um, mm. hunting can be really take up a lot of time and energy. Yeah. And I'm actually literally redesigning my business and my work around uh, my hunting and my foraging and my fishing cycles, because it's that important to me. This is, this is a so. lifestyle to me. Uh, being somebody that wants to live in uh, right relation with the land Uh, and it's year-round work and I actually need to plan my schedule my trips my businesses around these different seasons so that I'm always doing stuff you know and uh, right now you know um, uh, even though deer hunting is not until September and we're in April right now Mm -hmm. um, I'm out there with the trail cams I'm learning about the deer populations right now I'm actually preparing my spots for next year's hunt now because i'm not spooking the animals right now or if i do it's not a big of a deal i'm going in and prepping my spots right now yeah. uh, i'm looking for antler sheds to learn about the deers that are in there mm-hmm. um so there's stuff that i'm doing every single month of the year so that's that eighth part and, and, that, and i'd say that's kind of in some ways a little bit more of an advanced step and you know in the for yeah. those of you starting out you know it, i want to say it's okay if when you're starting out you're hunting for two weeks a year and that's mostly it i'm, I'm not totally. saying that that you can't that or that's yeah. bad. But to me, the ideal, at least in my journey, is actually to work into a stage where this is a part of my annual seasonal cycle. Um, And and it's something that is actually part of just who I am every single day. Um, So we're going to we're going to explore that in the course, probably a little less than other parts. But but what does it look like to actually make this a lifestyle instead of like a hobby, I guess I'd say?
0: Definitely uh, for me. Uh, as i was just saying we're we just pulled trail cameras we left them out for almost six months just to see what we aren't seeing when we're not there and from there we're now getting a game plan put together that this may we're actually going to be knocking down a bunch of cedars the property that we hunt is like predominant cedar it's actually overgrown with cedar and so we're actually getting ready to make a feed plot a food plot area on that property right where we're seeing a lot of deer activity to encourage them to stay on that property more because they're, again, they're very transient. They go to a cornfield off the property, they come through the property and then they go over to a swamp to bed down for the night. So there's only certain moments they come through the area. We're trying to encourage them to stay there. And we've been doing that for five years, slowly working on this property and maintaining it. And in those five years, we've seen le- not as many deers we'd like to see, but now we're seeing them a lot. And clearly the, 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 the payoff is happening now but also we're fixing the ecology while we're there. We've planted, uh, we've cut down 1,500 cedars in the five years that we've been there. So about 500 uh, in the last three years each. And in that time, we then transplanted 500 hardwoods, 500 shrubs, uh, thousands of seeds for the meadows. So we have cardinal flower milkweed growing in fields that used to just be fallow grass. And we have all these different flowering plants that are coming in. And now we're seeing the payoff, we're seeing hundreds of turkey sign we're seeing ducks in the hundreds of thousands chris can remember when we went out to the one pond and there was 80 teal landing just as we're getting ready to leave all this is happening all the time on that property because we've done the work we've put this effort in that's year round not just like the day before we go out and i I just want to touch off like yeah when you watch a lot of hunting shows it seems like they just go out and get a deer they go out and get a moose just to give a bit of perspective for those this is a little off topic but a little still on topic Those guys and girls that are going out hunting on those shows are going with local guides and those local guides are the ones putting in all that effort. They're the ones scouting where the moose are. They're the ones putting in the food plots and taking care of the private properties that they hunt on. They're the ones doing all that effort. So if you wanted a guided hunt, you are paying for all that work to be done for you. That's really what you're paying for when you do those trips and you're like, wow, I can't believe it's going to cost me $800 or $1,200 just to go out and shoot a deer in a weekend. I could have gone out and done this on my own. You could, and you can do that by following the hunter's journey and learning how to do that for yourself. So there's the two options. You can do it the fast way and pay the money for it, or you can put the leg work and the muscle work in yourself and the dirt time in yourself and do that work. So I think number eight, even though you're saying it's, it's uh, a little bit more advanced, I think it's a crucial part of the whole thing. If you want success on your own as an independent hunter, Uh, definitely putting in the leg work and the effort to actually see what's going on and learn the animals year round and participate in the ecology year round i think it's very very important
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense caleb uh, totally on board
0: with you there and with that so those are the st- the eight steps that you think are important for uh, hunting the, the the eight aspects of hunting what are the logistics of the hunter's journey then this course that we've been talking about throughout this whole podcast what are the logistics for this? So if somebody wants to join this course and they want to log in and, and sign up for this course and be part of this class, what should they be expecting? What are the logistics for this? Sure. Yeah. So,
1: well, first of all, just the website. So, uh, Hunter's Journey or the huntersjourney.com, uh, you'll find it. Um, you can also go to my website. So chrisoutdoors.ca slash courses, mm-hmm. um, chrisoutdoors.ca slash courses that actually has all the courses I run there. Um, but this one is, uh, you can also just get there directly, the And, uh, there's kind of four main ways or, or kind of components of this course, I guess you could say. And each one of them is actually quite robust on its own. Mm-hmm. But the first part is that we have, uh, live sessions. So the course is going to be starting in May, 2021, and then hopefully running indefinitely after that. Um, and the way that we're doing it, we're going to have four live sessions and these are live online. These are like the real-time coaching, mentoring uh, cases from the field. They're super potent. Like the ones we did in the beta class were awesome, but we learned so much through that that I, I just know it's even going to be 10 times better this time around and more Hell potent yeah. for the, the class. Hell yeah. So starting in May, we're going to put in the foundational work. So, you know, and basically walk you through Um, you know, the licensing part, basically those first couple of steps, we're going to chat about the Mm -hmm. mental, physical, or so the mental side of it, philosophical side, we're going to talk about getting your licenses. We're going to talk about getting your gear, coming up with your strategy. And then the summer is basically your time to actually work on developing those skill Um, now people can join this year round and we'll have the material there because all of these live sessions are going to be recorded. So Mm -hmm. if you miss this round, you can watch the recording of it, and then you can catch the live ones the next time around the the cycle. Um, the fall session, the way they're going to work the live sessions is now we're actually out in the field hunting. Um, me and Caleb anyways are going to be. Students may or may it not. You don't have to hunt this season to join the course. You know, some, you may be a vegetarian that's just exploring. Is this for me? And that's totally fine. You're welcome to be a vegetarian and even be unsure about hunting. Uh, as long as you're willing to be respectful of, of other people's having different views, uh, you're welcome to come in as somebody that's not even sure about hunting just to feel it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. You may uh, be hunting for the first time this year, you may have been hunting for a couple of years, but you just know that there's so much to learn that you want to mentor on it. Mm-hmm. So the fall classes are really going to be around the actual skills out in the field, the adapting as we go, what do you do with the harvest, all of those pieces. So part one is these live calls, and they're going to be great. And as I said, if you miss any of the live calls, no worries, or if you sign up after they've started, no worries, they're all going to be recorded for you to watch. Wonderful. Uh, part number two is going to be the actual recorded material. So we've got a really awesome online community that you can visit, and in there, with each one of these uh, like kind of segments of the course, we're going to have a bunch of pre-recorded videos. And the pre-recorded videos is where we really teach the tactics and skills, because mm-hmm. those are kind of hard to teach on the live calls. Uh, there's no better way than actually just filming me and Caleb out doing the thing and showing you how to do it. So you can watch the video and then you can go replicate it yourself. Uh, You have lifetime access as long as the course is up to all of this, this directory of skill videos. Um, So you can, you basically, yeah, you have a bank of really specific build uh, videos that help you build the skill set. So that's part number two. Um, Part number three, we've got a really awesome comprehensive workbook um with things like you know a, a glossary of terminology there's so many words and so much like hunting lingo so like there's a glossary to help you like know what does all of this stuff mean uh we have cheat sheets in the workbook which is like okay checklist okay i'm a brand new hunter what are the five things or ten things that i need to do as a brand new okay check one check two and you just work through them okay it's time to go hunt before i head out for the day what are like five ten things i want to think about okay check one check two you go through the lists so we have these cheat sheets to help you with it. Um, and then we've got like kind of worksheets and journals that really just help you kind of process the lessons and learn as you go. Uh, and then, of course, in the online community itself, you can go in there, you can ask questions, uh, you can share your stories. Um, I'm actually, I, I think a really important part of the hunt is actually being able to tell your story. Uh, it's really empowering. And, you know, some of you, maybe your family and your friends don't actually agree with hunting. They're just, they don't understand it. And it's going to be really lonely for you to go down this journey on your own, uh, being able to share and tell your story with people that understand or, or maybe you go out and you actually wound something or you have a really shitty day uh, when you're out in the field or, or it brings up something and triggers you uh, and you can't go tack to your friends or your families because they're just not going to get it. You can bring those stories to the community and know that you can share them with a the community that's going to that's going to have some compassion and understanding and, and basically just hear that story for you, you know. Um, So that the community is a big part, the workbook is a big part, uh, the pre-recorded tactical skills videos is a big part and then the live sessions. Uh, Those are kind of the four main components of the course. Uh, And again, you can find that over at thehuntersjourney.com or chrisoutdoors.ca slash courses. and yeah, we're, depending on when you, you listen to this, we're, we're going live real soon, or, or maybe we've already started, but you can join uh, late. There's no problem joining at any point in the journey, uh, and we'll, we'll catch you up, all the materials in there for you to watch.
0: And this course is available for not just Canadians, this course is available for people worldwide. Uh, this is available to hunters in the United States, hunters in Europe, hunters in the Southern Hemisphere. This is just us bringing what we have learned over our many years of hunting combined. Uh, I'd say, like, combined, we probably have about 40 years of hunting knowledge between the two of us. And that's being very, very conservative. I, I, I was raised with them 32 years old. I was raised eating uh, wild game since I was a kid and going out on the hunt with my dad before I was even legally allowed to carry a firearm. I was out there in the blind with them. And Chris has had this journey going on for at least 15, 20 years, I'd say myself. And this is a beautiful combination of all of that. And it's available to everyone around the world, not just Canadians. But if you're Canadian, this is stuff that's going to be knowledgeable for you in your backyard. If you live in the American Northeast or even the American South or the American West, a lot of what we're bringing is going to be stuff that you can apply almost immediately to your hunting journey.
1: Yeah, and and that's part of where the live calls and the community are fun too, you know, because we are, I mean, obviously Caleb and I, our our specialty and expertise is in our region of the world, but -hmm. we're going to teach these skills in a way that you can apply them to any ecosystem, to different animals that we don't even cover in the course. Mm -hmm. And in the community, you know, we'll help you troubleshoot. So if you're like, oh, well, the legality part, you know, in canada is very different than where i live in new zealand or wherever yeah. you know we'll help you work through like how do you figure it out for your region you know how do you apply what we're talking about with white deer how are you going to apply that to mule deer mm. um you know or other species of deer so we, we will do our best to actually make these skills you know we're really going to focus on like principles that can then be applied in different regions and with different animals so Excellent.
0: All right, folks. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our journey today. Uh, we will be back again with another episode. I want to thank Chris Gilmore. Thank you so much, brother, for tuning in with us tonight uh, for this episode. This has been phenomenal. This was great, a great amount of information for a course that clearly I endorse it because I'm one of the instructors for it. This is I'm going to be very, very open about that. This is something that I'm promoting because it's something I care about. This is something that I'm involved in and I love this so much. And I'm so thankful that Chris put this together because I, w- I didn't even have an idea for this. Chris just said, hey, I want to run this course, but I want to run it with you. You want to be involved? And I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I just didn't know I was looking for it yet. This is perfect. So thank you so much for putting this together, but also for coming onto the show with us tonight. This was great. Thank you very much, Chris. And to all of our viewers, all of our listeners, all of our supporters at Patreon, Patreon. Thank you, everybody, for keeping the lights on with this show. We're on episode. We're, we've passed sixty episodes now. We're not even at a year yet. I think. To I think actually f- uh, from this recording, we're three days away from our one-year anniversary of the podcast. So this is like a really kind of beautiful moment for me. This is really great. Thank thank you to every single one of you that tune in. All of you people, we're at s- over sixty-five thousand plays now on the show which is mine. I thought I would get like two listeners a week. This is, this is much more than what I ever could have ever imagined happening. Thank you to all of you. Uh, And with that, we're going to end this episode. We'll see you again next week on the Canadian Bushcraft podcast. Thanks for listening, folks.